What eventually contains 178 feet, 81 heads, 46 wings, and 8 udders? The answer to that at the end of the show. My name's Tom Scott, and this is Lateral. We've got a bright constellation of guests on the show today, arguably the best all-star lineup since Orion's Belt. So let's see if we're going to be dazzled by their brilliance. First, we have from her own YouTube channel, it is Emily the Engineer. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Uh, last time we had some strange questions in there, including one about violating the Geneva Convention. How are you feeling about being back this time? Yes. Oh, uh, you know, now I think I've got I've got a handle on it a little bit more, so I'm excited. Next up, it is from Corridor Crew and uh, from Corridor Digital. This time, without the exclamation mark added to his name, we have Ren Whiteford. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I just love the enthusiasm, and I kind of wish I'd kept it up last time, that I just kept, would have kept referring to you as Ren every time. <laughs> I just, in the rush of the show, I, I forgot. As long as you just keep it up in real life every time I see you, you gotta, you gotta say it that way every time. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm gonna do that if we meet up near VidCon. You know I'm gonna come in and just use that exclamation mark all the time now. Oh, I hope so. And finally, science communicator Kip Heath. Hey. Welcome back to the show. How is work going for you at the moment with the, with the science communication job, with the, the onstage stuff? How is, how is life now? Hopefully gigs are coming back as a thing. I'm really enjoying it. It's, I was glad to do virtual, particularly as in my day job, I work as a scientist in a hospital, but face-to-face is more fun. And there's something really depressing about talking to 500 students, but mostly at your own face on a computer screen. Well, thank you for joining us here as we stare at each other's faces on a computer screen spread across, I think, three continents and four different time zones. Uh, Thank you for for dealing with the inevitable lag as the signal goes around the world. We have some questions for you that have more twists and turns than a Six Flags roller coaster, but with none of the enjoyment and all of the nausea. Please ensure your seatbelts are fully fastened as we head up the lift hill of question one. This is sent in by Mark Moorhead, so thank you, Mark. In 2023, the UK is providing some households with a £900 payment to help with the cost of living. It will arrive as three payments of £301, £300 and £299, respectively. Why? One more time, in 2023, the UK is providing some households with a £900 payment to help with the cost of living. It will arrive as three payments of £301, £300 and £299, respectively. Why? In that order? Uh, yes. Like the first payment is 301 or the first payment is 299? I believe the first payment is 301. I feel like it might have something to do like with keeping track of what people have received and what people haven't received or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, you're definitely on the right lines there right away. But why wouldn't you do 300, 300, 300? Because then like if if you were paid... Well, I don't know. I guess you could see that you got paid 300 twice or something, but... It's like an ID system built into the payment. I mean, you'll have got it. That is exactly right. Oh, okay. away. <laughs> you nailed that. <laughs> the Brit didn't get it, but the Americans did. <laughs> have you ever worked in customer service or something like that before, Emily? Because I feel like that's the sort of thing, that's the sort of answer that comes to mind of someone who is on the phone and has to deal with people who are shouting at them about mispayments. Honestly, no. And I'm I'm thankful I, I haven't had to deal with angry people because they, they scare me. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear you there. 
you're absolutely right. If someone complains they have missed a payment and their last payment was 301, it's easy to tell there are two more to go. If you give them out as 300, 300, 300, it's a lot trickier for people at home and for anyone checking up to go at the bank statement and see which payment is which. That's actually really clever. I like that. That's the first time someone said that about the UK government. (laughs) (laughs) We will go to you, Emily, for the first guest question. We've rattled through that first one. Give us the next one, please. We are that good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The question is, each summer people flock to a Californian tourist attraction to have their photo taken next to two numbers. In 2021, a coveted pair of numbers was 57 and 135. What's happening? And I'll read it again. Each summer, people flock to a Californian tourist attraction to have their photo taken next to two numbers. In 2021, a coveted pair of numbers was 57 and 135. What's happening? So the first thing I did was write those down. I just have 2021, 57, 135, and I started doing all sorts of maths like, are those the prime factors? No, they're not. 135 is not prime. What if you multiply them together? Well, that's not going to end in a one. So I think all my all my mathematical things that I went through just did did not work there. You cannot back solve this one, Tom. What were the two numbers again? 57 and 135. Are they are we looking at a particular place in California or are the numbers in different places in California? Uh a particular place in California. I mean, Ren, you live in California. So yeah, we're like, come on, Ren. straight at you here. Yeah, uh, about that. Um, uh, so this is, these are put together. These are five digits that could potentially be like a zip code, but that's definitely not a zip code here. It's um, a temperature. What's 135 in centigrade? Oh. Because there's like Death Valley is in California, isn't it? And that's obscenely hot. And 57 might be the record temperature there. Have we just cracked another one really quickly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> So yep. wait, wait but, but did we know? Like, we, have we actually arrived? At, yeah. So it's like, uh, it's Death Valley then. It's going to be the giant thermometer in Death. Oh no! It, it no, the the giant thermometer is not in Death Valley. The giant thermometer is in Zizix on the road to oh to Las Vegas, Vegas from near Barstow. LA. So it's it's not the giant thermometer because that's just a thermometer. Death Valley has like a big sign on the intro on, on the intro. God, I've been doing these podcast recordings too long. <laughs> Death Valley has has a big sign on the entrance, right? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Y'all are you're spot on. It's people are taking a selfie with the Death Valley temperature sign. Fifty seven degrees. I die. Yeah. In fact, you do. Isn't like four? What's the? There's fifty seven has got to be near death. There's a whole valley of it. So one thirty five Fahrenheit, fifty seven Celsius. Like that adds. I don't know if I would want to live there. <laughs> like, I've, I've experienced 122 before Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius. And that was like unimaginably hot. It's like li- like when you open an oven and you stick your face in it. and it like It's like literally that everywhere all the time. So I lived in Sierra Leone for a while and that was 45 Celsius, which is apparently 113 Fahrenheit. And we didn't have air conditioning. Oh, oh. oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> It's Don't tell me it was humid as well. 90% humidity. I think there's a temperature, like it's wet bulb temperature, something yeah. which is some combination of heat and humidity, at which point the human body literally cannot remove excess heat. I can't remember yeah. what that 
hits, but it feels like you're getting towards that there. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, I was complaining about 41 in the Australian bush a couple of weeks ago, and uh, no, I'm I'm fine. You'll you'll have out temperatured me. That's <laughs> that's that's enough there. Yeah, at least I was in the desert where there was no moisture in the air. <laughs> so yeah, it's basically the answer is they're heat tourists and they're looking to take a selfie with the Death Valley thermometer sign um, showing the peak temperatures in the heat waves. Let's see if this one can stump our panel then as we <laughs> rattle through these. Uh, thank you to Catherine Davis for sending this question in. Anna is a performer. Every few days, she needs to do something with a couple of lengths of dental floss. Why does she do this? And what's her job? So one more time, Anna is a performer. Every few days, she needs to do something with a couple of lengths of dental floss. Why does she do this? And what is her job? Only flossing her teeth every few days? Hmm. That's very British in your dental hygiene. That's leading stereotypes. No, I'm not, not standing for that. Not standing for that. We've got healthy, we've got healthy teeth. They just aren't straight. Um, <laughs> you said a, 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 she's a performer, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. Dental floss. Why specifically dental floss and not like just string or twine or something? For the minty freshness? Uh, isn't dental floss also like plastic rather than like cloth or cotton-based or something? I don't know. I think it depends which, which type you're buying. I'm sure yeah, there's, there's organic uh, non-plastic stuff out there. There is uh, refillable ones. Um I assume it's not on her teeth. <laughs> you you assume correctly. If, if she was somehow performing with her teeth, uh, every, I'm remembering the old Monty Python thing about the dancing teeth. No, this is uh, this is not being used on her teeth. I will give you that much this early in the question. Couple lengths of dental floss. Is she measuring something? I don't know. But then I guess it could be rope or anything. It doesn't have to be dental floss. She like starting a fire by like wrapping around a stick and like moving the stick or something like that. I mean, you could do that with just a stick. Uh, you don't need them. No. You have stumped me. That's a good point. I mean, I don't know if you can have minty fresh fire, but still. Um, I feel like that's an advertising slogan for something. I don't know what. Like minty fresh fire. I feel like there's there's just a Yule log with a load of mint in it that you just throw into your uh, your fireplace and just. Oh, it'll, it'll be for the time that I managed to set fire to my uh, mouthwash at some point. Okay, wait, wait, did, that, did that actually happen? Because I feel like that actually happened. <laughs> no, I've set fire to a lot of things, but not actually the mouthwash. <laughs> uh, most recently, the hob and part of the kitchen. Minor point. Um, so what I, I so it's specifically a couple lengths of floss. Yes. Not three, not one. A couple. It's two. Are they a musician? Is this is this to do with an instrument, a musical instrument? No, I'll rule out musical instrument. It is some equipment being used for the performance. <laughs> Sorry, you you looked like you had it there for a moment, Ren, and then then you shut your mouth again. And it's like, no, it's not that. Hey, I don't it have might it. be handy to. So I'm going to encourage you all to talk amongst yourselves, like talk through what kind of performances there might be. What what might someone use? It? So. I'm, I'm, my mind goes to like magic tricks, you know, where someone like has like a rubber band and they put it like around your hand and then they do this thing all of a sudden it's on the other side. Uh, mm. Magic. <laughs> magic floss. Uh, so I'm looking not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's not a musical, in, I mean, there's dancing. 
and you use some of the weirdest things. Like I used to put like sheep's wool into my ballet shoes. Um, supposedly, it stopped the point she's hurting. It's a lie. It doesn't. Um, she tying stuff together. Is there something about dancing? Oddly, Kip, you're a lot closer than you might think. There, I didn't know you had a ballet background. I mean, not a successful one. Um, I was on the 97th percentile for height. It's not the traditional ballerina height. Oh, yeah, that's that's fair. That's... <laughs> and then I outgrew all the ballet shoes, which also didn't help. Um, but no, I still went to somewhere. It, was it to, like, tie off the circulation to a finger or a limb or something like that? That, that I don't know why. I'm just speaking out loud. It doesn't make any sense now that I've said it out loud, but... It was being tied up. Weirdly, you've got all the elements of this already. <sighs> Is it makeshift shoelaces? Well, you have ribbons. Is it something to do with tying the ribbons? Because you ballet shoes, you do ribbons and then you tie a knot in them and tuck them in. Yep. So why might you use dental floss for something like that? Is dental floss strong but thin? Hard to see. So is fishing line. Why didn't she use fishing line? Or is it to hold it in place in case the ribbon pops out? Yeah, you've got it. Like you said, Kip, ballet dancers put elastics and ribbons onto the shoes and sew them up. Dental floss is much, much stronger than just one strand of thread. And point shoes take so much strain that sometimes dental floss is preferred for tying those together. Look, mum, it wasn't a waste of 10 years of ballet. <laughs> oh. Hmm. oh, wow. Okay. Um. That's fascinating, though, because it's like you need something that's convenient and easy to use and strong. And so there might be better materials out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best material to use. So dental floss, interesting. There is one bit we haven't covered in this question, though, which is why is that every few days? And I suspect, Kip, you'll know this, but why would she have to do that every few days? Why doesn't she just sew them in once and be done for the season? Is it going to snap? Because it's not that strong. They wear out. Uh, weirdly, Ren is the one who got that one right. Uh, yeah, point shoes take so much strain. And I know people are going to complain that I'm using the English pronunciation there. I'm not going to try and drop one French worded, but point shoes take so much strain and wear out so quickly that professional ballet dancers replace them every few days. And every single time, you'll need to sew new stuff in there. <laughs> so yes, there are ballet dancers who use dental floss to sew up their point shoes. We're going to go to Ren for the next guest question. Take it away. The next question is from a listener sent in by Jackson S. Kilger. And it goes as, In 1854, a man was on a raised platform in front of a crowd. He ordered an axe man to cut the only rope holding him up. Not only did he survive, but he became a leading figure in his industry. Which industry is that? And I'll say that one more time. In 1854, a man was on a raised platform in front of a crowd, and he ordered an axe man to cut the only rope holding him up. And not only did he survive, but he became a leading figure in his industry, which is which industry? I'm stepping back because I can tell you the industry and the name, and I will just <laughs> keep out of this one. You would. You would know this one. Yeah, if there's... It, <laughs> like, I'm going to say no more, because if anyone here was going to get it, it was, it was going to be me on this one. I mean, it feels like an incredible lack of self-preservation, but um, it's, it's going to be Houdini-esque by magic of some description. Say a raised plat Is he, like, hanging off the platform? Is that what's going on? Or what? So, 
it's not an illusionist or anything like that. Like he's actually having it. The rope is actually being cut because you say that you're. He tells the person to cut the rope. The rope is actually being cut. How raised is it? I mean, are we talking about you know a couple of inches off the floor, which isn't particularly oppressive, or several feet off the floor? Yeah, you know. that is a good question, and I'm not sure. Tom probably knows, mm. but is now not saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm shutting up. It's probably a decent height above the ground. I don't. I think it's safe to say it's dangerously high. Okay. Okay. I'm presuming that. Could it just be something as simple as like, like a net to catch him or something? Like a. It is not. But have you seen any footage of the scabbed drop rides? Like self-contained. I can't remember what the acronym stands for. But there's uh, a couple of rides out there. There's one in a cooling tower somewhere in South Africa. There's one in the Netherlands, which is, um, you know how you do bungee jumps? It's that, only you're just dropped. There's no rope. There's just a big old net and deceleration thing to catch you at the bottom. And you are genuinely free-falling attached to nothing, just kind of in a ball with a thing to keep you upright. No. Sign me up. No. I've got... All the different reactions to that. Um, I think it's... (laughs) <laughs> it's one of the Tivoli parks in the Netherlands. I think it's the one in Aarhus is, uh, will let you do that. And there's somewhere in South Africa. And it's just, it's like a bungee jump or one of those things where they put you out over a drop and then you step off. Except you're just bundled up. And at some point, much like this, I guess, someone someone pushes the button and the harness just disconnects and down you go. 9.8 meters per second oh. per second. And there's just there's just a big old net at the bottom to catch you. See, I just, I attract accident so i did the longest zip line in latin america and i had to be rescued because i got stuck halfway across <laughs> oh no no you got bonus time on it man yes <laughs> <Sorry>. screaming <laughs> over a canopy and for the british listeners i did a boris johnson which is traumatizing for myself i've, oh. I've seen someone do a boris johnson this is this <laughs> this is for for an episode from a, a few weeks back uh the same guy who uh took a, a paintball uh firing squad at his bachelor party, stag party. Uh, the same guy got stuck on a zip line by just not sticking the landing. It was one of those, you just, you need enough momentum to get across. You uh, and he just missed, missed the landing platform, bounced off the tree and just kind of sat there bobbing up and down <laughs> for a little while until someone comes along from like the, the ropes course with a big stick. Oh, wow. <laughs> puts the stick up, <laughs> grab onto the stick, over you come. So I was 800 yards from the end. Oh, so how do they rescue you? So they come out and the guys who run it, who were very good and very tolerant of my complete meltdown and screaming at this point, there was no sort of sense and elegance left. Uh, they climb along it and then they grab you and then they calm you down and then they take you to the other end and they tell you that really you're just a bit too light to get the whole way across, which was very nice of them. They just climb along it, like, with nothing on them? Or they have yeah, a Yeah, so Anne's legs up and scurry along it. It's very impressive. If I'm, you know, not worried about falling to my death. I remember seeing a post somewhere on the internet about someone who built a homemade zip line and they hadn't done the maths. And it was for some summer camp somewhere. And it's like, yeah, it'll work. That looks about right. We'll rig this up. And then they realised that the test dummies they were sending down were hitting the, the end at about 50 miles an hour. And they're like, how do we fix this? And it was like, there is no way you can safely fix this. You cannot send children down that line. Take it down. 
It's a little bit like the uh, first man to try a parachute <laughs> um, who forgot to take into account the weight of the parachute. Mm. And Oh, no. Maths is important. There we go. I will say that, that have, knowing the answer to this, none of this is even vaguely <laughs> yeah. relevant. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I was like, how do you segue this back to the relevance of the question here? Oh, I don't bother <laughs> with that. I just, I just can jam it straight back in. Do you mean my trauma of a Central American... Uh, Zipline has nothing to do with a race platform in 1854. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, now uh, I've got like roller coasters and stuff like that in my head. So I will give you this hint. The rope that was holding this man up was not actually attached to him. Was mm-hmm. it a roller coaster or something like that? He's sitting in something or... So it says holding him up. So I assume it's attached to the raised platform. Additionally... This demonstration actually resulted in changes to the New York building code. Is this the person who, like, tightrope walked? It sucked to cut that rope. <laughs> you're, yeah. Are you thinking, I, I think you're either thinking too early or too late. There was Charles Blonda who yeah. did a load of tightrope stuff. And there was Philip Petit who walked between the Twin Towers. I think that's the right name. That was just me dropping in facts. Sorry, none of that's been vaguely relevant. Um, well, it's, it's relevant to my <laughs> random guess, which is apparently not relevant. So, Well, he was on a platform. He wasn't on the string. Or the rope, rather. So was he attempting to make a point? Yes. Was it, I don't know, something to have to do with, like... In my head, I have something to do with, like, building a building or scaffolding or something like that. Maybe, like, or like a harness... I don't know. No, you said you that he cut the rope. No, yeah, maybe like scaffolding or something that like... He didn't cut the rope. An axe man cut the rope for him. I'm enjoying that it's an axe man in particular. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's got very like executioner kind of vibes. Like lumber? Like could it be like a lumberjack guy <laughs> up on a tree with the harness around him or like around the tree and they cut the rope attached to the... I don't know. I'm I'm spitting stuff out here. <laughs> but what could have been, what kind of industry would that have led to? Carpentry. Not quite. I will say his surname and his company are apparently household names because I wasn't that familiar with it. <laughs> oh no, I, I Okay, this nerd's familiar with it. Like you <laughs> I know you are. How many videos have you made about this? <laughs> I, I've made several videos in on various versions of this. Um, yeah, like big old raised platform, rope holding it up, rope gets cut. Does the platform drop? The platform does not drop. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. I mean, sure. Okay. So, is the platform attached to a tree? If we're going lumberjacks, and that not being weird. Don't think about the lumberjacks. He said it had to do with something with the building code. So, like. Lateral. Don't think about the lumberjacks. <laughs> but we must always think about the lumberjacks. Right. Um, I'm sure there's a song. Uh, I'm not singing. It's too early in the morning. Uh, he was demonstrating a safety mechanism. You know, like he was, you know, he, he was putting himself in a, what seemed to be a very obviously dangerous situation, but he was proving a point that this was safe. Mm. That this mm. raised platform that he was on held up by a string that when the string breaks you're not gonna die <laughs> is he in construction we use them all the time today i'll tell you that i think it's a no 
I used one of these platforms to get to the studio. Was that a lift? Elevator. Elevators! Elevators! Woo! But who was the man? I think his name was Otis. You are correct. Otis. Elisha. Yep. Alicia Otis. I have seen uh, a version of that demonstration in the modern day, and it's just big old race platform, single rope, and he's demonstrating the emergency braking of the Otis elevator, which made it safe to use. I think that's right. Am I? Yeah. No, that's exactly it. it- <laughs> It was at the the World's Fair, uh, and he was making a point that like his elevator that he had designed here uh, could carry people. They would be safe for people because up until this point, elevators had only really been used for cargo. They were too risky for people. And so he was like, no, 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 we can make these things safe. Okay. Big thing about like uh, the engineering term factor of safety, you know, like you over-design something to not break. And so elevators famously have a very, very high factor of safety. If it's going to break it, if they say it can only take 10,000 pounds, it'll actually break it 100,000 pounds. But maybe don't test that. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> so the answer is that in 1854, a man named Otis was demonstrating an elevator, a platform that can carry people and not cargo. Not just cargo. This next one's a listener question. Thank you to Skyguided Vulpine Friend. In the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, there were dozens of hugely expensive state-of-the-art US satellites that ceased operation after no more than a few weeks in orbit. Even though they were still fully controllable and spaceworthy at the time, they quickly became useless junk. Why? One more time, in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, there were dozens of hugely expensive state-of-the-art US satellites that ceased operation after no more than a few weeks in orbit. Even though they were still fully controllable and spaceworthy at the time, they quickly became useless junk. Why? Was this intended? It was part of the design. I'm going to sit down on this one, because I think I know the answer. All right. Kip and Emily, then, this one's for you. It's the 60s, 70s, and 80s, so we are looking... Post-successful lunar travel. Yeah. In fact, I think that goes the whole way through, doesn't it? Yeah, the years are kind of important there. You, you, you're talking from Apollo era through to mid-space shuttle. Do they line up with people landing on the moon? No, not here. Did they run out of... This is stupid. Did they run out of storage of whatever they were... Detecting or like, see, the funny thing is, Emily, like, that's one of the first things you've said, and you are already circling around (laughs) the right answer. So, um, (laughs) it it is, it is a technological limitation. You're right there. Okay. Okay. There is the the reason that they are non functional is because of a limit that isn't the case anymore. Oh, is it battery power? Not this case. It's a, that is a lovely guess, and it's along the right sort of vague lines, but between the solar panels that they can put up there, and I think occasionally the radioactive sources they use for power, powering satellites is not the problem. They ran out of their data cap on their 4G stream. <laughs> Somewhere down on Earth, there's just an increasing number of 4G cell towers these days. They just get just have brief connections as one satellite kind of works the wrong way. <laughs> have you read the the Jumper series by Stephen Gould? I have. I really like them. I know that the film was naff, but I really enjoyed. Oh them. yeah, the teleporting. Yeah, yeah. So the first one is guy learns he can teleport. 
The second one is Guy's wife learns that she can teleport. Third and fourth are Guy's kid learns that she can teleport. And by the time you get to the fourth book, it is less a plot-based book and more of an excuse for an author who wants to see just how far you can break a universe with a superpower. And it's lovely because the kid wants her own space program. Sign me up. She can, she can teleport to space, at which point, like, right, okay, we're going to need a spacesuit. We're going to need communications. I love this. Minor spoilers, the reason she gets found out in part is because she's got a satellite phone and it keeps connecting in a way that the satellite company goes, I'm sorry, are you launching things here? <laughs> Whereas actually it's a, it's a kid who can teleport going to space. It's a, it's a lovely series and I recommend it. Um, I literally just noted it down because I need a new book series. So it's not communications, uh, but in the same way, it's something that, that you wouldn't need to do now. Is it storage space? Are they taking photos? Yes, storage space is not the right term for this. And Ren, you've got a grin on your face. I think you got this a little earlier as well. Is it like how much data it's able to send at once or how much it's able to, um, or how quickly it's able to send it? Com I don't know. Because now like as things evolve, I'm sure that's getting faster and faster. I don't know. It is interesting that it ended in the 80s. Yeah, Voyager 2, of course, is still sending things back occasionally. Like the long hmm. distance space probes are still communicating. So it's, oh, you're, you're nearly there with storage space. It's just not quite the right word. There's one thing you're jumping past here. Memory? Ram? <laughs> this is where my complete lack of technical knowledge is going to be hugely obvious. You actually don't need much technical knowledge for this. You could answer this question in the 80s or 90s. Okay, Ren, you, you, you're nodding here. Go for it. I, I know the answer. I, it has to be this. I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll mime a hint. Oh, is it film? Oh, it's photo film. Sorry, it's, uh, I was not old enough to go back to film. <laughs> okay, so I, I think I heard about this one before. So basically, yes, there were digital cameras at the time, uh, but they were not very good. And these were spy satellites that needed incredibly high fidelity photos. And so the only way to get high enough quality photos was with film, probably like high form, like large format film. And the only way to get freaking film from outer space is to land it. And so they would, uh, I, this is the part where I'm not exactly sure how it plays out. They probably deorbited these uh, satellites and then retrieved the film canisters that survived the fall or the reentry into the atmosphere. Uh, they dropped the film canisters by parachute. So okay. they deorbited them <laughs> by putting a heat shield and a parachute on them and sending them down when they were over friendly territory. And eventually, yeah, the satellite would run out of film. So there's nothing else they can do except instruct it to burn up. They can't send a new roll of film up there without <laughs> sending up a new satellite anyway. So they just instruct it to, uh, to burn up. I have a lot of friends who are really into like analog photography. And so it's like freshly on my mind. I spent all weekend with a dude who had a film camera out the entire time. Cool. You're right. This was the US spy satellite programs, Corona, Gambit, and Hexagon. Gambit missions lasted a few days. Hexagon and Corona lasted a few weeks. They deorbited the rolls of film and then with nothing else to do, let the satellites burn up. Last guest question of the show then. Kip, it's over to you. Okay, many of the oldest houses on the small Greek island of Ikaria have no chimneys and low ceilings. Many of them are also built under rocks. Why is this? I'll say it again. 
Many of the oldest houses on the small Greek island of Ikaria have no chimneys and low ceilings. Many of them are also built under rocks. Why is this? All right, I'm going to immediately ask Emily, the engineer. Um, this feels like an engineering question. <laughs> oh, no. Don't put that pressure on me like that. We can't... <laughs> I'm coming back to school. <sighs> Flashbacks. <sighs> so, I mean, a structural thing, right? So it's, if there's no chimney and it's low ceilings... So it's an island. Mm-hmm. These, like, yurts and these, like, dome houses type thing? In Greece? Yeah, so, like, a lot of small Greek islands with just, like, rocks in the middle of the mm-hmm. ocean, well, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea with a, a few houses on them. But I don't know why you'd build them low-ceilinged and no chimneys. So these are old houses. How do you build something under rocks? Do you just, like, <laughs> dig a hole and just say that there's rocks above you? Do you just make a house and then put some rocks on top of it, like sprinkles? Do you find a boulder and kind of sit up next to it like this and be like, I'm under a rock? Wait. Unless you've been living under a rock. I mean, there's plenty of rock houses in the world that have been carved into, uh, into the side of, side of cliffs or things like that, but it feels like this is underneath. Yeah. I mean, there's a beautiful castle in uh, Slovenia that's built into the side of a rock, but this is underneath. <laughs> Were they all just tiny, short people? With low ceilings? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I wonder if there's like an environmental concern that was sparking this. Like, were they in fear of like, was there a tsunami risk or anything like that? Uh, volcanoes exploding? Uh, rising tides? I was actually thinking, Emily, that the, that, that wasn't a bad answer. They're like, they're all, it happens to be a population that's really short, but that doesn't explain no chimneys. Is it like... Is there like a lot of wind it being an island or something? A lot of wind, you mm. don't want it to knock anything over. So you go under a rock or... There's a thing in desert climates where you can get a sort of makeshift air conditioning by building a tunnel that goes into your house and the air goes through underground enough that the ground is cold and so it kind mm. of chills the air as it comes in. Mm. But I don't know what that would do on a Greek island. I mean, Greek islands are very hot, but it's nothing to do with the answer for the question. Uh, okay. I was thinking it might be some ventilation thing or something like that. It might be a... But then then you'd want a chimney to let the air escape, so... Ren was towards the right way of thinking, but not really towards the right answer. With the environmental aspect? So these houses developed because of the location. So why do you need a low-ceilinged house? Why do you need a house that's flat to the floor or underground and doesn't let anything down a chimney? I mean, I'm assuming it's not letting anything down a chimney. I wonder if it's because they were able to plant more grass on top of it and there wasn't much space on this island, and so they're utilizing the rooftops as extra land. Or it's camouflage. No, you said these are old houses. I was thinking like wartime camouflage or something like that. Go more down that route. Oh, okay. So they didn't want to be detected, so they built stealthy houses that are low. And where were they? They were on a Greek island near Crete. Oh, I, I, uh, does anyone know their history? Because apparently I, this is where my I history knowledge runs out. Uh, okay, uh-huh. so um, 
Sparta was nearby. Uh, they didn't want to attract uh, uh, invaders. Mm-hmm. They wanted to look like just a rock, and so who invaded? Was, would that be the Persians? Persian Empire? If I wouldn't get too worried about Greek history. But yet it's a camouflage. We want to go down the camouflage route. Okay. Uh, no, it, you said old houses, so it makes, like, this isn't hiding from aerial bombardment in World War II or something like that? No, so you can see these houses from the air. But not from the sea. Oh. So who's invading a Greek island from the sea? How old are these houses? Are we talking like dozens of years or hundreds of years or thousands of years? So it doesn't say in the question from my own history, you're probably looking at at least 100 years. Okay. Veering away from the hiding from people, could it have to do with like a dangerous animal or something that they're trying to camouflage? More back to people. Back to people? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Because in my head, there was like some Leviathan whale out there that yeah. really hated this <laughs> I'm thinking this like, maybe they don't want a chimney because they don't want like dangerous animals coming down the chimney. I don't <laughs> And that would be a lot of fun, apart from, you know, for the people being attacked by the dangerous animals. But <laughs> hmm. So like, we discussed that they couldn't see them from the air and you look at, but you can see them from the sea. Okay. And they were built to protect the occupants from something that is not an issue in that area nowadays. Pirates or something? I don't know. Like what? Uh, ding, pirates. Ding, ding. Duh. Pirates. They were built to deter pirates. Pirates? Emily, where'd really? that come from? That's brilliant. Cool. Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the shortest answers I've ever seen on this. It just says they were built to deter pirates. Oh, I thought for a minute the answer was just pirates in big letters. <laughs> no, so these the houses were glad in stones or slabs and nestled into the landscape so that they looked as much as possible like large rocks. Also, a low ceiling meant the house wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb when seen from the sea. The houses also had no chimney so that their location wasn't given away by smoke trails. Okay. Mm. We've got a little bit of spare time for one more from me, so here's a bonus question. Why are places where you can buy books, pens, and paper called stationery shops? One more time, why are places where you can buy books, pens, and paper called stationery shops? Lovely short question there, good luck. So, stationery, pens and paper, stuff like that, right? I don't actually know the linguistic history behind that term. It never really made sense to me, because... You you would buy it at a stationary shop because you don't want to buy it from a moving shop. Can't find it. He's not wrong. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, I, mean, I do buy most of mine in train stations, but still. I, uh, so, trying to think of what stationary would be in other languages. Ren, you're, you're actually fairly close right away there. Um, you are linguistically along the right right lines there. Okay. So the fact it wasn't moving. Yes. So we're gonna need a bit of the more reason why there. Were they originally sold by sort of people on carts and things, or in markets? Oh. And so it was the first time they went into sort of shops that didn't move. If that was the case, that wouldn't be where the word would come from. They'd have been given like 
bookshop or mm. pen shop or something like that. There is something special about that type of shop. The stationary shop. Mm-hmm. Would they also... Did it also act like a, a post sort of thing where they would send letters for you as well? Like, I'm trying to think of what additional things you might find at a stationary shop in addition to pen, paper, and ink. Ooh, is it something, is it sort of in contrast with a newsagent's or post office? If we're going back to it not moving, like the paper, mm -hmm. like the paper is not moving. Like if you're posting it, I'm really <laughs> running off. It, it, you're dancing around the right answer. That they, it, Why wouldn't a shop like this move? in a time when almost all traders were moving around for markets and things like that. Why would the word come from, uh, according to this, stationarius in Latin? I'm so mispronouncing that. Is it something to do with the paper mills and were they attached? Although you could move it. I don't really understand why you wouldn't. Would it, could it double as like a... This is stupid, but like, it, could it double as like a... Like a post office or something where like people have to send stuff in so it has to stay there. It's much simpler than that. Much simpler. I mean, remember that this would be like bookshop carrying a lot of just uh, books, papers, anything like that, as opposed to something like uh, flowers or oh. vegetables. Is it because unlike, so the books go to one person and a library, they'd come back again? Is it about the books? It is about the books. It's one specific thing about books compared to a lot of other products that you might buy in medieval times. I mean, in medieval times, they were monks. Like they were written by monks. They weren't. There weren't many books in medieval times. Yeah, wasn't it like only uh, the church that like really was into writing? And so, if you're not part of the church and you wanted to write, you had to go to like the specific writing store. Not. Well, there's a couple of jumps here. So the, the, uh, there is a medieval Latin word stationarius, which means a shopkeeper or tradesman who had a regular place, who didn't travel round. Why might that have been associated with bookshops in particular? Books are heavy. And there's your answer, Ren. Ah. Oh, shoot. It's as simple as that. Books are really heavy. Potatoes are not, <laughs> apparently. Potatoes are still heavy, but you've still got to pull them in from the farm anyway. The trader's got to go round with them. A stationer, someone who sold books or papers or something like that, would be much more likely to stay in one place and not have to lug their stuff around so they became known as stationary shops. Wow. I feel like I just learned something incredible about <laughs> stationary. Like, I did not yeah. know that at all. One final thing then, uh, a listener question that I asked at the start of the show. Thank you to Chris Dixon for sending this in. What eventually contains 178 feet, 81 heads, 46 wings, and eight udders? Eight udders? <laughs> udders? Eight udders is probably your best clue in there. So that's something with a lot number of cows. <laughs> Maybe the cast of something. Yeah, you, you're getting there. Did you say there were wings as well? Yeah, 178 feet, 81 heads, 46 wings, and eight udders. <sighs> Costume shop for the Christmas play. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you're nearly there, Ren. Is it the Christmas carol? It's a Christmas carol. <laughs> uh, 12 days of Christmas? 
Yes, the song The Twelve Days of Christmas eventually contains 178 feet, 81 heads, <laughs> 46 wings, and eight udders. And if anyone wants to check the maths on that, please don't tell me about it. Uh, thank you to all our players for getting through our questions there. Uh, what's going on in your lives? Where can people find you? We're going to start with Emily. Yeah, you can find me on uh, YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok at Emily the Engineer. Ren. Yeah, you can find me on all the socials. It's uh, I have to spell it out because it's surrender, but it's S I R W R E N D E R. It's a really good pun. It's one of those puns <laughs> that is too clever for its own good because you have to explain it every time. Uh, and Kip. Assuming it's still there, you can find me on Twitter at MiceHeath. Thank you very much to all our players. You can find out more about this show and send in your own question at lateralcast.com. We have video highlights at youtube.com slash lateralcast and we are at lateralcast pretty much everywhere. Thank you very much. It's goodbye from Emily. See ya. From Ren. Bye-bye. From Kip. Goodbye. I've been Tom Scott and that's been Lateral. <laughs>